Children, what sort of an aroma were you at home and in school? And, and children, last Lord's Day you were asked about being or challenged to be an epistle, an epistle for the Lord. How did it go this week? Now, uh, for the adults, how many of you remember when you were growing up, you heard adages like, you can be anything you want to be as long as you believe in yourself and work at it. I remember being told that over and over and over again. How many of you remember the high school commencement address delivered when you graduated? How many of you remember the college or university commencement address the year you graduated? One. I don't remember if it was at a commencement address that I was attending in person. Well, it was in person. I don't remember which one. But I remember the title of the commencement address. It was this, Remember to Remember. I have no idea what we were told to remember, but we were to remember. Well, it was on May the 7th, 2022, when the Geneva College graduating class sat at around 10.20 or so in the morning on Saturday to listen to the Reverend Dr. Kevin DeYoung give his commencement address, Whatever you do, do not be true to yourself. Whatever you do, do not be true uh, to yourself. It was the Reverend Dr. Timothy Keller, that New York Times best-selling author and the minister of Redeemer Church in New York, who wrote a book, a little pamphlet entitled, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And the subtitle was, The Path to True Christian joy, the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And in this pamphlet, he writes, in an age where pleasing people, puffing up your ego, and building your resume are seen as the methods to make it, the Apostle Paul calls us to find true rest in blessed self-forgetfulness. Yes, the title of this morning's sermon is Forgetting Self. As Paul addresses that matter in the three verses of the second chapter of, of the third chapter of 2 Corinthians that we'll be looking at together this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 4 uh, through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, found on page 1026, there in your pew Bibles. Let's hear once again what God has to say to us from his own word. And we have such trust through Christ. 
toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. It was back in the second chapter and the last section of the 16th verse that the Apostle Paul asks this question. Who is sufficient for these things? And it's in these three verses that he will address that matter of sufficiency, but he also wants to address the matter of confidence and the matter of the new covenant. And so we want to first of all notice the source of Paul's trust, or the source of Paul's confidence. We know from what we heard last Lord's Day that the initial source of the Apostle Paul's confidence is found in the Corinthians themselves. That's why the question was raised, how were you children this week an epistle for the Lord? Because last Lord's Day you heard how the Apostle Paul looked at the Corinthians as being his confidence builders because they are, as it were, his epistles uh, to the watching world. They were the evidence that through him the word of God was going forth powerfully and mightily and people were becoming believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are our epistle written in our hearts known and read by all men, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Christ Jesus is the one who uses the Apostle Paul and his colleagues as they proclaim that gospel to bring people to salvation. And so the confidence that he has that he is indeed called by God to be an apostle, to minister the gospel, is in the fact that the Corinthians are showing forth the fruit of salvation. But he specifically tells us in this verse, and we have this trust through Christ. We have this trust through Christ. Why is it through Christ that he has this trust? Well, because it's through Christ that he comes to appreciate what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 3 and 4, that he came to do what? To preach Christ's death according to the scriptures, to preach his, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, to preach that he died, to preach that he rose again on the third day according to our scriptures, according to the scriptures. In other words, he proclaims the word of God and God brings about the salvation of people. So we have this trust and confidence through Christ. Where? Toward God. 
we have confidence that we are living as God would have us to live when we recognize there is not a moment in our lives that we're not perfectly and 100% visible to God. When we recognize that we are living our lives before the watching eye of our sovereign creator and sustainer, we may have confidence when we realize all that we are is through Christ. There's that hint, isn't there, of forgetting self and remembering, remembering Christ in us, that hope of glory. Now, what about the source of Paul's sufficiency? He'll use that word three times in our three verses. His sufficiency is from God. Because God made us sufficient as ministers. And where does this sense of sufficiency originate for the Apostle Paul? But we go over, don't we, to Acts chapter 6. And what do we find in Acts Acts chapter 6? But we find Saul, Saul confronted on that Damascus road. Saul, that Pharisee of Pharisees, that Hebrew of Hebrews, that that one who according to the law is perfect. We find Saul on that road to Damascus having an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. An encounter that raises two questions from Paul's lips. Who are you, Lord? Lord, what do you want me to do? And we find in Acts chapter 6, Ananias, a certain disciple at Damascus, who had a vision in which the Lord tells him to go, to go to Saul of Tarsus. Why? Because Saul of Tarsus is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. As Ananias goes to blind Saul, that the Lord would use him to relieve those scales from his eyes so that he can see clearly what he's about to do as he, as, he, as he forgets himself. He sees that he's called to be a servant of God who is going to go and declare the name of Jesus before Gentiles, before children of Israel, before kings. So his sufficiency is rooted and grounded in his call by God and is being set apart by God to do the very task that he's been doing uh, to 
in the midst of, of the Corinthians. God chose him, and God sends him with a mission to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the children of Israel. His sufficiency rests in his clear call by God to do the work that he is called to do. Our sufficiency is from God. And as Paul uses this word sufficiency, I think you say it as echinos. He would be using often, as we find in his writings, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And as he would be using the Greek translation of the Old Testament, he would find those occasions where in the Hebrew Bible, the word Shaddai is used. You know, El Shaddai, God Almighty, God Almighty, El Shaddai. Well, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Shaddai is used in Ruth chapter 1 and verses 20 and 21. It's also used in Job chapter 21, verse 15, chapter 31 and verse 2, chapter 39 and verse 32. And each time in those Old Testament verses, Shaddai is translated by this Greek word, ekonos. In other words, the sufficient one to care for Ruth the sufficient one to care for Job. He is the sufficient one who enables Saul, Paul, to be the ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the children of Israel. Oh, and by the way, his sufficiency is also recognized in the fact that he was told by Ananias, as Ananias sees it in a vision, that he will suffer. And how does he begin this second letter to the Corinthians? You will be suffering. You will have afflictions. You will have problems in your life. And why will you have those problems? Why will you suffer? Why will you be afflicted? You and I, why will we? So that as we enjoy the sufficiency of the comforter who comforts us in those afflictions, what? We will be able also to comfort others when they have those same afflictions. Why do we encounter these troubles in life? So that we can draw upon the all-sufficient one who meets us in our every need. And as he meets us in our every need, we then are able to share with others how he meets us when they're willing to share with us their problems and their sufferings. Do you see that? The source of Paul's sufficiency 
is in his forgetting of self. In fact, he'll go on to say that and being from our, uh, let's see, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Do we understand that we're called upon to be thinking God's thoughts after him? Do we understand that we're called upon to be all about having the mind of Christ in us? Do we understand, as the Apostle Paul says here, he doesn't have a thought that is unique unto himself? Do you think perhaps, perhaps he anticipates what the Holy Spirit is going to write uh, through Peter in that second letter that Peter writes and that first chapter in that 21st verse? For prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Do you understand how the forgetting of self in the Apostle Paul is, able, is enabling Paul to see that his sufficiency lies outside of himself and not in self. If we want to be an aroma that is pleasing to the Christian community, we recognize that who we are is rooted and grounded in our union with Jesus Christ. And if we're an aroma that is pleasant to the Christian community, what kind of an aroma will we be to those who aren't Christians? Well, Paul told us. <laughs> we won't smell good to them. And so, children, when you're with non-Christian friends, and we are to have non-Christian friends, don't expect them to always think you're wonderful. Why? Because you have the aroma of Christ. Until the Holy, and until the Holy Spirit works in their lives, the aroma of Christ is repugnant to them. And that's true for us as adults, too. When we're living our lives before a watching world, why would we expect the unbelievers to find us pleasant? When we're speaking the gospel which calls humanity to do what? Deny yourself. <laughs> Take up the cross and follow Christ. Being self-forgetting brings about genuine joy. So, his confidence is found in Christ as well as in the believers that the Lord has brought to faith through his message. His sufficiency is found in 
Christ, Christ who is the all-sufficient one. And then finally, he speaks about the new covenant of which he has been made a minister. And if you remember, I think it was the first Lord's Day that I was here in this new year. We looked at being new. And we recognize there are two Greek words for new. There's the Greek word neos, and there's the Greek word kainos. And if you remember that Greek word neos is the Greek word that speaks about new with reference to time. Do you remember what kainos is? It's easy to remember. New has to do with kind. I'm not what I was. I'm a new kind of person. The Apostle Paul is about being a diakonos of a kainos, diatheke. A diakonos of a kainos, diatheke. New kind of covenant. And how does he describe the difference? Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. We read from Jeremiah 31 earlier. Jeremiah 31 reminds us of that old covenant. That old covenant that was given there with Moses. And we'll be looking at that, this in much, much, much greater detail this evening as we consider verses 7 through 11. But simply from Jeremiah 31, it's that idea of that old covenant in which God was a faithful husband to his wife Israel. But Israel was not faithful to him. And so there's a new covenant that he promises because his wife Israel broke covenant and he wanted a faithful wife, the church, the new Israel, the people of God. And what was that new covenant going to be all about? Well, it was going to be all about the doing away with the law. No. But the writing of the law on the hearts of his people. The writing of the law on the hearts of the people. You see... For the Apostle Paul, the law was not evil. The Apostle Paul did not see the law as causing death. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known 
covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, making opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Again, as we'll see this evening, the law written upon the stone is an external law. It's only when the law is written on our hearts that the law gives life. When it's here, it brings death. And it's this new covenant, this kainos diatheke, that Jesus Christ, we're going to hear when we come to the table, establishes in his blood. Christ, shedding his blood, establishes in that blood this kainos, this kind of covenant that is new, this kind of covenant that is life-giving because this kind of covenant, as we saw in John chapter 16, is the covenant that Jesus says it's expedient for me to leave in order that I might send the helper, that the helper will do what? He'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when I'm convicted of sin, I recognize the wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the beauty of the law that brings about the conviction of sin, as the Holy Spirit writes that upon our hearts, what happens? We repent. And we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have new life in him. And as we work out our salvation, denying self, as we work out our salvation, forgetting self, and bringing to remembrance, as the Holy Spirit enables us, the things of Christ, we become aromatic. And we become epistles. And we find our confidence the same place Paul finds his. In Christ Jesus, living our lives openly before Christ Jesus. And our sufficiency in Christ Jesus, who is the altogether sufficient one, as he particularly was to Ruth and to Job. 
then he gives us that standing in the new covenant, in the shed blood of Christ, the shed blood of Christ which washes us completely of our sins and enables us to be forgiven and then to be cleansed so that we live lives uprightly. John Newton wrote, and with this I'll close, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. But by God's grace, I am not what I once was. Praise the Lord. He calls to our memory. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, <clears throat> not of works, lest anyone should boast. He calls to our mind Romans three twenty four, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and we'll come to this eventually. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. One more time. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for good work, forgetting self, to find confidence, sufficiency, and the new covenant in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together.